What's going on, STR Nation? Before we get into this week's episode, I've got something very, very special for you guys. This Wednesday, March 6th at 12 o'clock Eastern, I'm hosting a live webinar with Mike Riley, our Director of Coaching and Operations at STR Secrets. And what we're going to be covering is the number one way that our students are finding and taking down co-hosting deals right now. These are people, this, man, I, I wish I could claim that I discovered this, but it was actually Mike Riley was one of our students that figured out this new method. Uh, we're calling it the UI method, the underserved investor. And it's a way for, for us to target folks that have properties already that are not performing and they're either trying to self-manage or they're working with some of these big box management companies and they're just not getting good results. And our students are coming in and just taking these deals left and right over the last few months. And so I want to share it with you guys because this past week, uh, you may have seen my wife and I welcomed our new baby girl into the world. And it just gave me some flashbacks to seven years ago when my son was born and he was very, very sick. And um, that was the catalyst for me for starting this business. And it lit this fire under me to launch and scale this thing quickly so that I could get out of my job so I could be there with my wife and my son in the hospital. And it made me think back to, all right, if I had to redo this today, how would I do it? And would it be the same? And honestly, it's going to be very different than when I did seven years ago. A lot of those things don't really work anymore, right? And that's one of those things with this industry. It's constantly changing. But this UI method that we're going to cover, it works so good. It's ridiculously good for just cherry picking deals that are going to work for you and add a lot of value to the owners that you're working with. So Again, it's on Wednesday, March 6th at 12 o'clock Eastern. You can go head over to go, that's go.strsecrets.com slash UI. Again, it's go.strsecrets.com slash UI. And I'll see you on the webinar. If you approach it as a good person, like with humility and add value and just tell people what you're doing and help them along the way, like stuff just flows back to you. What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. STR Nation, before we get into this week's episode, I've got some I am so excited to share with you guys. For the last couple of years, we've been recruiting and training virtual assistants for our private mastermind students, and we have now officially opened that up to the public. So if you are looking to hire a virtual assistant for your short-term rental business, then go to strsecrets.com slash VA. And we will recruit, onboard, and train a VA for you. And if they don't save you at least 40 hours a month in admin work, then you don't pay. So I put a crazy guarantee on this because I've been testing this out for the last two years with our mastermind members. And I'm so confident that it works that if it doesn't randomly work for you, I'm literally going to give your money back. So if you want more info on that offer, head over to strsecrets.com slash VA. And now let's get to this week's episode. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, E? My brother, it's so good to see you. We just got off of our uh, boardroom call, and I'm, I'm honestly, like, so impressed. Like, you know, and, like, it's funny because, like, I remember us in, like, M1 back in the day, right? And it still has that, like, iron sharpens iron kind of vibe to it. And it just, like, 
I saw a video of Cody Sanchez was talking about something that day about like how the people that you have next to you at work, if they're top performers, how much more your production goes up by not by virtue of nothing else, right? So close up top performer, your performance goes up like 15%, I thought she said. And then around non-top performers or like the bottom of the pack, it goes down 30%. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's such a thing that like you don't think about, but it makes such a difference when you're like in the right rooms with the right friends and the right people. Because again, like you don't think about it, but the people that you have around you, even if it's not in a work environment, they may be like taking away that 30% yeah. from you without you doing anything else different. It's just by virtue of like who you have around you. And the boardroom for me is such a huge example of that, kind of similar to the rest of the stuff that you and I have done together. But like it's just such a good reminder of like 100%. around you. And it's, um, we've talked a little bit about culture here and there, like on your team, like having a players with good attitude, good energy on your team. It's the same thing with people you spend time with, right? Like I'm a pretty introverted guy. Like I don't go out a lot and do different things. I've got a pretty small circle, but the people that I surround myself with, like you and, you know, our boardroom and a lot of those folks that like, that's my circle, man. And like, it just, it keeps me focused on it's not even about like the money. It's just how close can I get to my potential, you know, and not settling and letting myself off the hook for certain things or whatever. It's just like when you get around the right people, it just constantly pushes you to level up and just hold yourself to a higher standard. The money mm -hmm. comes at the byproduct of it, but it's more than that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And it's just like, you know, like I think as like we're like halfway through the year, right? Like this is June 1st. I think it's, it's always the best time to kind of like audit how the year is going to like where you thought you were going to go and also being very mindful of like the people around you, are they playing an effect to where you're, where you're going? Cause the other thing is like, as we grow our, our team and our businesses, finding that one hire, like we hired a couple people this year and every single one of them, I can put my finger on where they have added in the business and how the business runs and how they have like really augmented who I am as a, as a, as a leader who Tasha is as a leader too, because then when you have the right support around you, also us as leaders, right? We have the opportunity to grow and level up because we finally feel supported and we finally see somebody that like understands our vision, helps us with the work. So yeah, it's super important. So like, maybe like if you're feeling that you've been in a certain corner, a little bit of a, a bottleneck, just kind of look up and see like maybe it's it's what you're doing and maybe it's one higher away or one one little switch away in the sense of the people you and got with and who you have around you and so on and so forth, you know? 100%, man. And that, it's funny, it's a good transition for our guest today because mm -hmm. I had been seeing his stuff on social media and I could just, I, don't, I just resonated with him. He had really good energy and then uh, we got to meet at SDR WealthCon and he's just a really good dude, you know, good energy, humble, like getting after it, just pushing himself. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll go through his bio in a second, then we'll bring him up. But uh, we've got Blake Daly on the show today, and he began his real estate investing career buying and renovating hurricane-damaged homes in Panama City, Florida. And he stumbled upon a high cash-flowing short-term rental strategy, acquiring houses with ADUs. And after surpassing his W-2 income with his cash flow, Blake pivoted to commercial multifamily and syndicated his first large apartment deal, 66 unit in North Carolina. That is no small feat for your first commercial deal. Uh, combining his experience with raising money and doing commercial deals and burring STR properties, 
Blake jumped into commercial short-term rentals with converting rundown hotels and motels into renovated boutique hotels. He has owned five boutique hotels and a handful of short-term rental homes across California, Florida, and Utah, along with a 66-unit apartment complex. He buys, renovates, and operates boutique short-term rentals. So without further ado, Blake, welcome to the show, brother. Guys, what's up? It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I've been uh, looking forward to this one for a while. I know I had to reschedule a couple of times or whatever, but I've been looking forward to this one. So That's all right. When the, when the kids need you, that's uh, that's more important than us talking hotels and short-term rentals for a little bit. So so no worries, man. Just glad we could fit it in the schedule. And right now, like I'm currently sitting my top half with a regular t-shirt and bottom half of my Air Force uniform. So you got to fit it in when you can. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. Awesome. So what was... I always love to go back to like the beginning and what was your aha moment to, to get in the real estate investing game? Yeah, I think mine, um, if I could trace it back to like this, like an idea, I was walking through Barnes and Noble, like while I was in college and that little purple Bible, rich dad, poor dad stuck out to me. And I always wanted to, you know, get into business, start my own business, be an entrepreneur. And I didn't, you know, through at that time, didn't know what that was going to be. And then I read the book about real estate, you know, and building cash flow and, you know, the cash flow quadrant and all that, like the mindset behind investing in real estate. I was like, you know what? I could do that. It seems easy enough. And jumped in, got into, found bigger pockets, read books. And by the time I was ready to commission and, you know, get stationed at my first duty location, I had my VA loan. So like I get in for zero down, I could get a multi-unit property and live for free and have tenants pay the rent and maybe make some cash flows. Like what a better start. Um, and jumped in and, you know, found the house with the little guest house. We were in it on Airbnb and rolled from there. Dude, I love that. So was your first rental, did you short-term rent that? Like you're out the gate, that was your first one? Yeah, yeah. We did Airbnb the first time. And I think when we closed the house, we had like 2,500 bucks left in our bank account. So that's what we used to furnish the place. Um, and I was like, you know what? I got a paycheck coming in two weeks. As long as, you know, we got something to eat by two weeks from now, we'll, we'll be fine because we'll get it up and running and cash flowing, or at least making money. And I just knew it wasn't going to rent and be able to cover the mortgage as the long-term rental. But we had stayed in like places like that. My wife and I, we had stayed in little places like that when she would come to visit me in college or when we would travel because we were like the budget conscious travelers, you know, being college kids. So I know it could do decently and I just didn't know how good it would do and um, became a good strategy for us. Yeah, yeah. I, I love That's that. That's awesome. And thank you for your service, by the way. Yeah. And continued service. I appreciate and it. I'm glad you brought that up because- Phil Capron, he wrote that book for Bigger Pockets, right? On um, was it for Bigger Pockets, or did he just write one about basically his journey using the VA loan and eventually scaling it into syndications and everything else? So, I mean, if you're if you're in the service, man, like first off, thank you, but like seriously, look at this to take advantage of this. Like you said, like you're able to get in, you know, they finance 100 percent of it, which is amazing. No, make sure that it will still cash flow. But Jesus, like get into a small multi like that and let it snowball that's phenomenal man yeah i always tell people like if you're in the service or i have served like the va loan is is almost like a cheat code because you can go get multiple units for zero down if you have a disability you can have like no no va funding fee plus you can negotiate in closing costs so you could literally buy a house for next to nothing if not nothing um it's just crazy like every we've used ours twice so you can use it more than one time we bought four units total with zero down it's just a that are all short term rentals and cash flow. And so, I mean, it's, um, it's a great strategy to, to uh, hit, jump off. Yeah. So walk us through how you went from that with the ADU. So that makes sense. Right. And then it's 66 unit syndication in North Carolina. 
because that's that's a that's a big jump you know i mean in terms of like mostly like no just tell us about the story like how did that happen yeah so that the the time frame from buying that first one uh to syndicating was about a year and a half and over that year and a half i was uh renovating hurricane damaged homes like i was a contracting officer in the air force so i deal with contractors all day scopes of work negotiating the contracts and managing them so that easily rolled over into what i was doing in the real estate space so like doing a hundred thousand dollar hurricane damage renovation didn't like scare me so much when i was dealing with a million two million dollar air force contract you know kind of like lowered the gave me a little bit of false confidence and learned along the way just jumping in and doing it and with that first house that had the guest unit i got to thinking i was like man if we didn't live here like we'd have a three-bedroom two-bathroom house on top of that that would just be pure cash flow so like, why don't we go look for another house like this? Because we bought it for essentially the price of one home. So you can find other houses in the area that have ABUs or, uh, you know, mother-in-law suites, above garage apartments, like whatever that extra unit is and rent out both places. And then, you know, we know that this size apartment in this area will at least cover the mortgage and like the fixed expenses. And then by renting out the, the main house, it's all cash flow after that. And then it was like, you know, 2,000, 2,500 bucks a month in cash flow. Um, and we, we did that on four or five houses in Florida over that first year and had surpassed with like my cash flow, like the net net, what I was making in the air force and that first year. And I was like, man, what an opportunity cost. Now was like, my goals are too small. That was like, when I started that, that was my five-year goal to get to that point. And I did it in that first year. I was like, all right, now I gotta go bigger, um, and set some higher expectations for myself. So that's what led down the route of going into commercial real estate, learning, you know, how it's valued, how to operate it how to raise money and structure the deal, like all the things that go into buying a 66 year apartment complex is pretty involved. And that's how it got there. I, I love how how simple you make it sound because it is simple, right? In a, in a sense, like that's what I always tell people about like, they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, dude, if you hang out with me long enough, you'll, you'll know that I'm not a rocket scientist, right? Like it's just not who I am as a person, right? And that's why I love real estate. To me, real estate just makes sense. But what was... And maybe this is just your your Air Force training, so maybe that's just how it is, right? But it's just like again, like headspace wise, mindset wise, a year and a half, it's not a lot of time. And so what was that mindset switch? You're like, you know what? Instead of starting with a 20 unit syndication, I'm gonna go into the 66 unit right away. Like what if somebody's listening, right? And it's a similar situation to you, how how did you wrap your head around going from like a single with an ADU to yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot that happened in between with all the renovations, raising sure. money, more private money yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I think those things are what laid the foundation to do essentially the same thing, but just at a bigger scale. So it was like, you know, my first deal, it was a, another house with the ADU. I raised $30,000. And then it seemed like the biggest thing ever, like, holy cow, somebody just gave me $30,000 <laughs> to go do this real estate project. Now I, you know, have to refinance it um, and get their money back. And we did that one within a month because the, the bank didn't require seasoning. It was like cosmetic rehab and got them their money back and they were happy. I was like, oh, shoot, you know, it's not that scary. Um, and it's really not that hard. You just, you know, do the things. And I think I've always been inclined to taking the action and figuring out along the way. I think you need to put as much effort and diligence up front into minimizing the risk of the mistakes that you can make. But there's got to be a threshold of like, I got to go take action now. Like I know what the potential downside is. Like those are the things to swerve, but just pursue what you're actually um, trying to get towards. And then once I had, you know, I, through that year and a half, like I had the experience of managing big uh, renovations, multiple projects going on at the same time, raising money for multiple different private parties. Um, 
had multiple units up and running in operation. Then it just became like, okay, like I know these are the foundational pieces. And I know that, you know, like there's a gap between where I am now and where I want to go. And then like how I've always done it with like building out, you know, my current business and past business is just like looking at that point in the future that you want to get to and just reverse engineering. It's like, all right, I got to learn a little bit about asset management. I got to, you know, get better at connecting with investors and, um, you know, presenting the opportunity rather than asking for money. So that way I can build the capital stack to be able to close the deal and learn the property management and you know, landlord laws in the state that we're buying in all that kind of stuff, the market analysis. So it was just like piece by piece. And it took like nine or 10 months from the point that I pivoted to say, all right, I'm all in on commercial multifamily to, to close that apartment complex. But it was just, you know, steady, just action. In the meantime, of like being in the trenches and learning the things I needed to, and finally finding the deal, going through due diligence, going through the first capital raise of like a big capital raise, which is kind of scary. And then, you know, through all of that, I think was also lucky to find like the right partners along the way. Like it wasn't just me on that apartment complex and it wasn't just me doing the houses and stuff either. Like I had, you know, raised money from the right people and just like surrounding myself with the right people um, to put all those pieces together. Mm -hmm. Love that. And so then that happened, right partners are there, which all makes sense to me. And I, I appreciate you just kind of sharing because to me, again, it shows people the way once you get out of the way and you're just like, I'm going to plan the work and work the plan, work the plan, plan the work. Right. And you're yep. just like, okay, perfect. Head down. This is what I need. Get it. Look up. Right. So 66 unit is closed, North Carolina. And then we're starting to look up and you're like, okay, now I want to do boutique hotels. Mm-hmm. So what was that first deal like? Was it in North Carolina? Was it back in Florida? Yeah, so you back in to, Florida, right in your intro? Yeah, back in Florida as a as an eight unit was the first boutique hotel. Um and it, it really came from you know being a commercial multifamily, analyzing a ton of deals, screening a ton of deals, putting out offers and just, you know, finally getting one. And like I, I saw it like continuing to get harder, like the deal. The, the margin getting smaller, the cap rates compressing. Like this was at the beginning of 2021. There's all the stimulus money, like institutions were going towards, you know, commercial real estate even harder. Um, and, and it's a real estate space to hold on to fiscal assets, to hedge inflation after, you know, all the, the stimulus and the quantitative easing over that, that COVID time. Um, so it, it strained the, like the returns I wanted to get in the deal. Like if I'm raising money, I don't want to bring into raise money for a deal that I don't really like, right? Just to get the deal done. So it's like, where can I now pivot to find, you know, a better spread, a better return? Like now I know commercial real estate. Now I know um, short-term rentals I've been doing for the last couple of years. And that evolved into like, would it be crazy to look at, like looking at hotels? Like it's the same, you know, kind of diligence and, and, and closing process, raising capital, structuring the deal and all of that with like, you know, operations on steroids a little bit, but I know the foundational pieces. And again, it's just like, all right, let's work backwards to figure out how to actually run it. Um, and then found a little eight unit that made sense because I had eight short-term rental units at the time. And I was like, you know, instead of all over Panama City, all over the area, I had eight units in one location with one linen room, one laundry, like laundry at the facility and everything there. I was like, it's gotta be easier. Um, so then bought that one and it kind of snowballed into then, you know, my meetup that I hosted telling people what I was looking for, like had, found a really good deal, got eight units for $357,000. It's going to be worth like what I projected, like 1.2, you know, the price for 1.6 after the renovation. But the numbers looked great. The portfolio looked awesome. Uh, like I knew the plan to execute because I, you know, renovated eight units already. 
started telling people and it just started, you know, more deals start coming. I think it's kind of curious sometimes when you tell the universe what you're looking for, you, you end up finding it. Easy. You can't be quiet, right? One of the one of the yep. biggest things I learned from, from Grant Cardone <laughs> a long time ago was like, if people don't know you, they can't flow you, right? That was yeah. one of his like sayings and it might sound cheesy, but it's totally true. Like if, if people no, don't know I what you're there. up to. Your aha moment, like you had like sparkle in your eyes. I remember him showing the chart of people talking about him and the amount of money he was making. And I turned around to look at Mike. This was like a, the very first uh, Grant Cardone in Miami. And I turned around and look at Mike and Mike has just, just this gigantic eyes. And he's it's just, like, yeah. And I'm like, he's like, dude, that makes so much sense. I'm like, I know. And he's like, no, no, dude, that makes so much sense. And like ever since it's been just because it's, it's true. Like people just need to like. People want to support people if they know what the fuck they're doing. But people sometimes like nobody supports me. It's like, do they know what you do? It's like, no. Yeah, them. yeah. I think if you're if you're a person like if you approach it as a good person, like with humility and add value, and just tell people what you're doing and help them along the way, like stuff just flows back to you. And that's kind of what happened with these deals. Of course, you started looking at deals, finding them online, talking to brokers and all that, the other stuff. But two of them just like came to the inbox or like through like, hey, I gotta. Like I heard you saying this at the meetup or, you know, on social media or whatever, here's, here's a deal, here's a lead. Is it something that would work for you? I was like, immediately my son was like, yeah, I think those will work, but let me take a look. <laughs> love it. Love it. So I want to shift gears a little bit now and just talk more from an operation standpoint. So you've done both, right? Like you've done the single families. Now you've done, you know, the small and now larger boutique hotels. Let's kind of compare and contrast operations and maybe where a lot of your guests come from and we can just kind of go round robin because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions, especially on the show, because it's so focused on short-term rentals that a lot of people just assume like, all right, I'll get this boutique hotel and I'll just put it on Airbnb just like I did for my short-term rentals and it's all going to be fine. So I'd be curious like what your, what your experience has been and what your operations look like now. Yeah. And when we had got in to it and made the first one live, like we wanted, and this is how I always did when I launched a new Airbnb listing, I would keep them just on Airbnb for the first six, eight weeks, whatever that, you know, to get bookings. And I would limit my uh, length of stay. So I'd get shorter reservations and a lot of them quick to get reviews. So we started out with that at the first hotel that launched in December, I think of 21. And then because we were doing like, I was literally in project phase on five hotels at one time in three different markets, we got really overwhelmed with just the pace of, you know, building up the business, hiring the teams, putting in the systems, managing contractors, all that kind of stuff. So we stayed on just Airbnb for a long time, um, six, seven, eight months, maybe. And then I was like, all right, I'm, I'm tired of this. I know we're leaving money on the table. We're keeping our occupancy rate too low. Uh, and they were still performing fine. Their cash flow well, but I was like, to optimize this, we need to, to spread out and disseminate our listings across the multiple channels. We went live on, on booking.com. Uh, well, we did our direct booking website first and booking.com and Expedia just went wider and wider with it. And then every month, like the, the, uh, the pace of our revenue and our occupancy was going up. We're getting less reliant on Airbnb. We're building our direct bookings. We're having more control over the guest experience. Um, and it just, you know, elevated what we were able to do and took it from a pace of like, I think we're on pace to do like two, six, two, seven, 2.6 or 2.7 million in revenue. And then um, throughout that got up to 3 million. So yeah, definitely a, a huge thing. Like you can't just put them on Airbnb because occupancy, like with multiple units on site, occupancy becomes the real limiting factor for you. 
Like you can get really good rates, but if you have bad occupancy, your rev bar is going to be lower and you're not going to be grossing the amount of money that you expected to. Um, so yeah, getting on, on other listings or on the other listings is huge. And I know like, Mike, I think you're talking about the conference. You're like 55, like you're more than. Uh, We're like 60 to 70% direct. And then we actually just got on Expedia in December. So about six months ago, and mm. we've done very well with Expedia. But if I was looking at the, the reservation mix for this year, and again, it's depending on the property, it's between 60 and 70% direct. And then it's like 10, 10, 10 between Airbnb, Expedia, and booking.com. It's almost yeah. an even split between those. One's like 9%, one's 11%. You know what I mean? Like right in that range. STR Nation, want to know how I gained $817,000 in equity in 19 months using none of my own money? Well, if you haven't already heard me talk about boutique hotels, I just recorded an 18-minute case study for my private mastermind group on how I bought a tiny 13-unit hotel in Rockport and more than doubled its value from 2.25 to 5.5 million in 19 months. But instead of keeping this one a secret, I decided to share it with you guys completely free. Just go to www.strsecrets.com hotels to access the case study and promise in just 18 minutes, you'll know why boutique hotels are my favorite STR strategy in 2023. I break down everything from the renovations, the location, the investment, the equity, the financing, and how to take advantage of forced appreciation. So when you have 20 minutes, go to www.strsecrets.com hotels. And now let's get into this week's episode. And then how are you uh, driving traffic to for the direct bookings and the signage, email marketing, social media, all the, all the different I things. do zero email marketing. And it's funny because we were just talking to Bill and like, I agree, like it's super important and I know we can do even better, but I just, I started playing the Google game. So we've just been pushing guests, like leave us a review on Google, leave us a five-star review on Google. And now we have hundreds upon hundreds of five-star reviews on Google. So when people are looking to book a hotel, the first place they usually go is to Google and they go, search hotels in enter city, right? Yeah. And then our Google My Business page comes up with the other hotels and they see that we have 400 reviews at like a 4.8. You know, that didn't happen overnight, but that was part of the plan. We worked with an SEO company for a while too. I think we still are for one of the properties, getting us to do some optimization, a little bit of SEO, some Google ads just to get us some placement. And then just a lot of just getting involved in the community, right? And uh, like, we're involved with the chamber. We're involved in the innkeepers association. We know all the local business owners and it's just this little micro economy. Where people want to... Sounds like such a Northeastern Massachusetts. Dude, it is. It really is. And I was Probably like a 300 year old organization. too. They all wear uniforms still. They all show up with their uniform, the little pipes and they're like, hi yeah. guys, you know? Yeah. yeah. I like it's funny. Yeah. When we did, sorry, but I was going to say, when we did the same thing, we saw, we, we had a big spike. And for a long time, like when we were just on Airbnb, we had stay by set up um, and we were collecting all these emails and we had an email list of like three or 4,000 before we actually started email marketing. And in that first, first quarter, we got like a 10% bump. And then we built out a new, uh, you know, it was like a $14,000 website with ICDN, like worth the cost because we probably made that back in direct bookings over the next quarter too, with, you know, the SEO, the Google profiles and directing people there when they search in that area. And I think, yeah, we had a, like a 15 to 20% bump over, over those two quarters. And that's what we're doing now is exactly what you just said is the, the Google, my business profile, and then taking 
like those OTA reservations, directing them to leave a review on Google through like the message thread. Cause it typically not that I've seen, I don't know exactly how you do it, but it doesn't flag like the Google links. Like it would, if you put in your own direct booking website in there so that they can go to Google without it being flagged by Airbnb and like getting your account shut down or, you know, listing things or whatever. And then they leave their review there. So we're doing the same thing now. And what I think it's funny is that this show comes after the show that we did with Bill. And one of the things that Bill says, which is the other thing that's coming out of this show, is that there are so many ways that work and you don't have to do all of them at the same time, right? Because like, again, like the, the Google review thing is something that works great. And once you have a certain number, you start seeing results. Email marketing works great too. Once you have a certain number, you start seeing results. Word of mouth is how we grew a lot of our business. And on word of mouth, I don't need to have email marketing or Google reviews because people are like, just call this guy. They will take care of you. He has always done it for all of our clients. And that's how we grew our business, right? Like I remember Mike got, got into this and he's like, do you have your stuff on Airbnb? And at the time we had like two listings and I had one listing on Verbal, uh, which I got kicked out of because I was advertising all of my properties under a single listing. Mm-hmm. But that was the Wild West. But like at the same time, like I have 76% of our our all of our booking come from our our site, right? So I'm like, I don't I don't care. So if you're listening to this, you're like, I don't have 3,000 emails, okay? Like start putting the systems in place to gather email and work on other things. The local people, especially in like smaller towns, it makes a difference because like people love and trust you and they refer you and people don't need to see anything else. Yeah, yeah. Like our hotel in Panama City Beach, we had a ton of like the local businesses and the uh, the neighbors around our hotels. They would direct their family when they come came in town to go stay at our place. So like just mm-hmm. be just by simply like in, introducing yourself with there's like houses and different businesses around your hotel. Like that's like the easiest way to make the, those relationships count. I think what you said is really good too. Like what works for Bill might not work for like us with the hotels, right? Because if we just did like one marketing source and we only have one house or a few houses that that house could only book, you know, if it has like a four or five average nice day, whatever, that's very few people coming through. But in the hotel, um, you know, 20 units on site, we might have a hundred different people there throughout the week. So like capturing those email addresses and then, you know, either uploading those into like your custom audience on Facebook ads or doing email marketing, doing direct campaigns, like, it, uh, it, it depends on like the kind of property you have, but yeah, more, just pick one thing to start rolling with. And actually from, uh, from the conference, one thing I did from, uh, Bill's pushing was to do, start doing the Facebook ads. So now we're getting like thousands of views a week. Um, and just doing like a $5 a day limit just to push traffic, increase the click through rate and the views on the listing and getting up in the search rank. Love it. We could talk a lot about the marketing end of it, but I want to switch gears here for a second and talk more about the operational setup now. So how does that look for the different properties? Do you have staff? Are you running them remotely? Is it a mix? Just kind of walk us through what that looks like now and yep. anything crazy come up that you weren't expecting. Yeah. So the back end of the tech stack and like the back end operations is all the same and linked through like we use the same PMS, the same, you know, all the different systems for the hotels. And then what I think was a really important step in our kind of evolution and growing the company was at first, we just had one hotel in each market. And then we had the third hotel, which was the second in one of those markets that was under contract. And we could sense like we had a, a, a manager, a property manager, a part-time assistant property manager that are cleaning staff because, you know, me being full-time in the Air Force, like I, even though I was in the market, like I had 
the full-time job taking me away. My partner was, in, you know, full-time in the Air Force and on the other side of the country. So we couldn't be the ones to do the things at the property. So we had to think with scale in mind to, to build that from the start, right? So that we could have efficiency in our operation. So we had to run a little bit heavier with our labor costs in the beginning. Um, and then we got that second hotel and then we could spread those costs across the, the, the staffs that we had. We made the assistant manager full-time and then we hired full-time maintenance. And then I was like, all right, now all of our contractor drama is gone. We're saving on, you know, maintenance costs, even though we've got somebody on salary and you know, we have payroll taxes and all that kind of stuff. We're actually net positive on that. And just the, the admin on the work for me, managing like getting different bits and stuff was a lot easier. Uh, and that pushed us to get a second hotel in our Tahoe market to build out that same operational efficiency there. Um, so in each market, it was like 33 and 34 units. But I think like a more important factor there is like the revenue that we were able to generate. So it really wasn't the reven uh, the, the unit count that got up was there. It was the gross revenue that then we could hire the staff that we needed, spread out the labor costs to run efficiently, have the people in place, the systems in place, the back end e concierge messaging all the guests so that we didn't have to do all the things. So like our scale kind of helped us get there. And that's how the, like the onsite operations were set up and evolved over time. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people initially want to talk about the unit count. And I tell them the exact same thing. I actually talked about it at our Miami retreat last year was like, I have this 13 unit that does just under a million bucks a year that like it's, it's the revenue is more important because that is what gives you the ability to build that team. I don't care if you've got a 30 unit building, if it's only doing 400 grand a year, it's going to be very challenging for you to build a team. That's going to be you managing all 30. Yeah. Years. You're going to be an innkeeper. Like that's what it's going to come down to, which I have no desire to do. You don't have a desire to do. None of us do. Right. So it's like you said, it, it, it's not always the unit count. It's just what can this thing produce? that can support a team so that even if you wanted to run it yourself, you're not handcuffed to it for the life of the deal. Mm -hmm. I also love what you said about running a little bit heavy at the beginning in terms of payroll. Cause I think that's another thing that people, especially the people that have nine to fives that have to like kind of realize is like, there is an element of like starting to hire people when you can't necessarily afford to hire them. But if they help you create the long-term system and you're still supplementing your income through your nine to five income, to me, it makes more sense than for you to try to replace your income sooner. Because then what happens if you don't have the system, you replace your income, but then you got yourself another job. Yeah. Right? The way yeah. you guys kind of did it. Is, what you're yeah. trying to do is build a business, not replace your job with another So now job. you guys yeah. thinking longer, you actually managed to, at the same time, actually uh, build the business so then when you choose to get out of the Air Force 100%, you're not falling back into a job. You have a system that's been sustained by your by your salary, in a sense, when you needed it. And now you have a full business. And when you step out, you're actually out yeah. of nine to five operations altogether. And again, it's super difficult to understand. And again, every family has a different story and you have different needs. But it's something that I don't think we talk enough about because it's something, especially if you have a high W-2 income, that to me is what makes the most sense. Like just hold on for an extra 12, 18, 24 months and put extra money into your business that you create your, your infrastructure and the, all the bottom of your business, it's super strong, even when you, maybe it's too soon, but then when you come out, you're, you're out and you're landing on top of this pyramid that you already built. And then it's, it's all from there, right? Yeah. So having said that, 
when we just came on the call, you were talking about something else that you've been working on that sounds incredible. So now you have these five hotels under construction at the same time. I don't understand why you were overwhelmed at all because that sounds completely doable across three different markets. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I actually said this one thing. This one will probably be easy. I'm yeah, stressing. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, stress it. Now you like have one project in one market. You're stressing out. Before it was like five across three. I'm like, that sounds like cake. But kind of walk us through one, where you found it, to the kind of big big picture image and, and where you guys going from there. Yeah. yeah. Put me on the spot. I got to knock on wood because I don't want anything to go awry with this uh, uh, before the, the final paperwork signed by the seller, but verbally agreed. And we're working. I actually just missed a call from my attorney, but I'll call him after this to make sure it's all locked up now. Hopefully that was a good news call. Um, but this deal is 130 unit in, uh, in Tennessee by the Smoky Mountain National Park, like a couple minutes away from the gate and a really good, they call it the peaceful side of the Smokies. Really good submarket. He's you know, a couple of million visitors a year. The visitors to Eastern Tennessee is growing. The visitors to the National Park is growing. Um, they've got events there and stuff. And it's just really strong. And the purchase price per door makes me just want to smile and giggle like a little girl. So I, I like the deal. And yeah, I think the one thing about it is it's it's bigger. So I think there's going to be some some varying operational complexities because we've run all of our hotels without front desk staff, without, you know, like, not like a typical hotel. It's more of like that hybrid kind of Airbnb in a hotel, like, you know, the modern boutique hotel where you book, you find it, uh, and then you get your code and you check in and enjoy the amenities, you know, and everything's taken care of for you without the staff on the property. So this one's got some different amenities with a wedding and a vet sitter that I think is going to add pretty healthily to the top line revenue. Mm -hmm. um, maybe like 500 up to 800,000 a year in revenue with not a whole lot of extra expenses other than the labor, because they usually pay the deposit, like the, the wedding and the vet people, that then covers the stuff you need to buy. Um, so then it's pretty high profit there. But yeah, it came through. We talked about earlier about like when you put yourself out there and kind of let people know what you do and just do it with, you know, with some humility and like add value through like the content you put out and stuff. Like one of the uh, the masterminds I'm in um, got tagged in the Facebook post, like, hey, there's this. Uh, hotel, I have no way to take it down. I'm just happy to pass along the lead and kind of learn from somebody as they take it down. I was like, you know, what? let me take a look at this deal. Underwrote it, and I was like, holy cow, I think we got something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's mostly what I wanted you to share is the fact of like, again, it without doing anything but sharing with people, this is what I'm working on. This is my dream. This is what our team is about. And you're not doing anything else. And then like looking at stuff, giving feedback to people. It's incredible how quickly something can happen when you just one let it happen and two, and two mm -hmm. speak it like right like the more you speak it into existence the more shit happens and it's, you can think it's magic you can think it's the force you can call it whatever you want you can think it's god call giving you the force right i like it too but i'm kind of a nerd like that uh mm -hmm. but yeah i love it man and and i'm excited i'm excited to see kind of like what that grows into i think that the F&B side of it, it's very interesting to me. And, and I don't know if it's the Italian in me, but like I love the idea of like hosting, hosting parties and restaurants and everything else. Mm -hmm. And the emotional component of the way people spend money on weddings, it, it makes my business mind kind of tingle a little bit because I'm like, holy yeah. shit. Like I know how much we spent on our wedding. Weddings are just getting more expensive. Mm -hmm. If you offer the kind of right kind of experience, especially with a property like that, book out the whole property and everything else. 
Yeah. And I think it's pretty unique in that, like, especially the wedding, wedding side, it, it, like a lot of properties in that area are unique. Like they got mountain views, might have really good design and stuff. And they check a lot of the boxes, but this one literally checks like all of the boxes. Like you could host the whole, um, you know, <laughs> the whole venue at the hotel and have to give them a room, the whole bridal party, all that. It's got indoor, out, indoor and outdoor pools. It's on 10 acres. It's got great photo opportunities. It's got a huge Amazing. They can do the wedding upstairs and reception downstairs. We're building a bar as well. We're going to have catering. So, like, it kind of hits everything you need and is out of, like, the the hecticness of, like, you know, being in downtown Gatlinburg and stuff like that. We're all your family can't get there um, and beat traffic. So, I'm pretty excited for it. And, um, yeah, it's going to present some unique challenges. Um, but ready for it. I think it's got enough margin that we could probably, I could probably trip and fall and still, you know, do okay. Yeah. <laughs> on that <laughs> note, I, I'd love to hear from you. What were, were there any things that came up operationally or whatever that you weren't expecting when you went from the single families to the hotels? Yeah. I think at the very beginning, um, like we had written in when we had originally underwrote them and like management for the hotels like it'll be like you know kind of like a multi-family pass where you put the, the the third party management in place and as we had more discussions about it like people didn't know how to handle it and we kind of realized and i think we had built it before we realized we needed to build it but we built our own like property management company so we have like the prop co that owned the real estate and the opco that manages the real estate the operating company um so that prop co opco structure was something that we stumbled into and just like figured out along the way and didn't really uh, understand. And then I think based on the kind of hotel, and I mean like size, quality, amenities, age, you know, the asset classes that like, uh, you know, like, I guess in multifamily, you call it like ABC class, but in like hotels, it's like mid-scale, upscale, luxury, or like economy scale. So like those are going to vary your guest type. And then each different property kind of had a little bit different avatar, a little bit different, you know, uh, price elasticity of how we can manage our revenue and our rates based on the guests and the demographic that was booking there. Um, so really nerded out on the revenue management side. Um, and also found a lot of, of efficiencies there too, because you have multiple similar units that you can split test and do stuff like that on. Um, I always thought like revenue management or before, like, you know, your big houses are going to have your longer booking lead time and just incrementally you, you decrease prices as unbooked days get there, but there's a lot more to it on the, on the hotel side, a lot more data to scrub through. And then as you build a team, like, right, you, as you build that op code and manage the hotels, we had, uh, uh, 30 employees before I sold the last company. And there's a lot to that. And that's when like e, you're kind of talking about the vision and how it kind of attracts people. Like that is so prevalent within your company and how you need to like align your people's goals and their aspirations to the goals and aspirations of the company. So that when like as a business owner, you provide them those opportunities, they're hitting their goals and you're hitting your goals and everybody is you know, happy, like creating a good atmosphere where you're willing or where one of them are willing to go to the property at 1 a.m. to take care of a guest that, you know, doesn't know how to turn on a shower and thinks the shower's broken. But um yeah, You're just going to pull it towards you, bro. Just pull it Jesus. towards you. It's like, it doesn't work. I'm going to break it. I'm like, motherfucker, like, pull it towards you. It's really, it's not rocket science. And like, yeah, to me, like, like when the team tells me, like, I automatically know that person paid less than like 300 bucks. So like, it's yeah, you're like, you like, like, I'm like, I don't understand. I'm like, how do you, like, how do you shower at home? Like, I'm like, I don't like, I don't get it. Like, it's just, the beyond me, you know? Home. Yeah. No, but honestly, dude, it's so like, I had this moment this weekend because we had, we had something happen to a guest and it was right in between the shift of like the, the daytime and the nighttime shift. 
decide to actually text my like on site 11:30 at night. I'm like, thank you so much for answering. He's like, boss, anytime. Wait, this is what we're here for. And like an understanding that like they are you, right? And this is what we're telling on the uh, boardroom call as well. Like when you go into creating a boutique hotel, you create you create the direct booking website, you create everything. But a, a what a hotel also gets phone calls. And mm -hmm. in terms of like, you need to think about how people are answering the phone call because your vision and your brand image needs to be absolutely congruent through and through. Because you can't tell me like, oh, it's a Florida luxury boutique hotel. And then people call and the person answers the phone is like, why y'all looking for? And it's just like, hello? Is this the boutique hotel that I called? The luxury boutique hotel? It's like, yeah, that's us. What y'all want? And I'm like, you need to think about all these things. And there's things that you don't think about when you have one or two SDRs. It's not one thing that you think about when you're only dealing with guests on OTAs because you go all your messages through there. But as you're growing and people are starting to answer the phone, like, what is the script? Like, what does that look like? Like, who's answering the phone? How are they doing it? What are they saying? Like, yeah. all of that stuff goes into it. Dude, I'm yeah, super excited for you, man. I, I think I don't see you having any issues whatsoever. Like, it's just like, it's just who you are as a person. You know what I mean? Like the way that you look at life to me is more of an indicator of whatever your success is going to be. Because if yeah. you start stressing about staying on the little stuff, then I definitely know this, this, this is not for you. But when you're this excited about. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's, yeah, um, yeah. It's important. It's yeah. Well, I know we're, we're coming up on our time. So before we get into the last question, first, Blake, I want to thank you for coming on here, sharing all your knowledge and wisdom with everybody. And, uh, <laughs> Congrats, man, on all the success. It's it's friggin' amazing. And uh, you guys are on one hell of an upride uh, trajectory right now. And I'm excited to see what you guys are doing going forward. So it's funny how you like you're you're on that ride and you always feel like it's uh it's hectic and you don't really realize the progress that's made until you like take a pause and look back. Like, holy cow, you know, just you know, built a multiple million dollar business and sold it. Now I'm about to buy another multi-million dollar business in one in one swing. Um, it's kind of wild, but I appreciate you guys coming up, uh, let me come on and, and talk about this and share some hotel tips. It's been fun. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So where can folks learn more about you, you know, follow your IG content, all the good stuff that you're putting out there. Yeah. Instagram will probably be the best place. It's at Blake J daily and, uh, daily has an E before the Y and then, uh, YouTube, uh, put content out there as well about short-term rentals, boutique hotels, just helping people. I don't think I really even have an ask on there and just putting it out, you know, putting good vibes out, see what comes back. And, um, you know, hopefully it leads to, to good stuff in the future for your, for you guys and everybody else. Love it, man. Love it. So the last question that we ask all of our guests is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals and boutique hotels? Ooh, number one secret to success, probably something that we touched on a little bit earlier and it's just like taking the action and not getting too overwhelmed with the idea of like all the things that could go wrong. Like for me, I'm so much more um, scared of not succeeding than I'm scared of failing. So I'll fail, I have failed a hundred different times, 200 different times, but I'm learning things through those failures and making, you know, small adaptations. You just don't want to, you know, fail too big and like lose all your money. So just like take small, uh, um, you know, respectable size risk as you go, but you, you're never going to get the, the life you want, the business you want, um, and reach your goals. If you're not willing to take the action, you just got to go. Like I just, you know, sold a business, have a, a smaller team now that's really efficient, um, but we're smaller. And now we're taking down or 
you know, knock on wood, taking down a 130 unit Baltico hotel because I know the steps, so I'm confident in being able to do it again. And yes, I'm going to make small mistakes and yes, I'm going to learn new things, but it's going to make everything else better going forward. As long as you have the margin on your decisions to take that action and do it. Love it. Love it. Well, Blake, thanks again for coming on, brother. For the listeners out there, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Have an amazing week. We will talk to you guys soon. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.